Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. It's Tuesday, December 12th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. An effort is underway to restore a historic Quincy theater that has been dark for 40 years. It was home to vaudeville and movies in its prime. So this was a large venue and a main main event and a social aspect in the city of Quincy. And we just want to bring that back in a different way. St. Louis Public Radio's Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson will have that story in just a few minutes. The Republican race to become Missouri's next lieutenant governor is more crowded. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports. Missouri's lieutenant governor doesn't have a lot of tangible power. Their primary role is to preside over the Missouri Senate, serve on boards and commissions, and take over as governor if their predecessor leaves office. Former Senator Bob Onder joined four other candidates in seeking to replace Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, who is running for governor. The Lake St. Louis physician says the lieutenant governor's post offers broad possibilities for policymaking. Mostly, I believe what the lieutenant governor can do is work with his colleagues, work with the governor to exert leadership. In addition to the five GOP candidates, State Representative Richard Brown of Kansas City is running as a Democrat. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio. University of Missouri-St. Louis researchers have found glaring differences in how the public and justice officials view safety. The 2023 Redefining Community Safety Report's goal was to gain a broad community perspective on what public and community safety means. Hundreds of people in St. Louis County participated in surveys and focus groups. Project board member Lee Slocum hopes the findings will help criminal justice officials think more broadly about safety. Accountability in one community might might look different than in a different community. Ethical and responsive policing in one community might look different than someplace else. The study finds the media's reliance on crime data and insight from justice officials alone causes people to overlook systemic issues that negatively impact safety. The annual United Nations Climate Change Conference wraps up this week in Dubai with new commitments and pledges that respond to climate impacts. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports how companies fit into those deals. This year's COP has new pledges to reduce methane emissions in oil and gas, emissions from the agriculture sector, and more locally, a commitment to new conservation land and infrastructure along the Mississippi River. Nancy Landrum is a sustainability management professor at Munich Business School. She says companies have a role to play in addressing climate change, but sometimes it's not a priority for them. One thing we need to do is connect the environmental crisis with the company's current and future operations and how this is going to impact their future success. Landrum says half of the world's gross domestic product depends on nature or the services it provides, but that connection hasn't been clearly made for company executives. I'm Eric Schmid, St. Louis Public Radio. Illinois manufacturers are praising a newly signed law that lifts the state's decades-old moratorium on new nuclear facilities. Alex Degman reports. 
The new measure allows for the construction of small modular reactors capable of producing 300 megawatts of electricity. That's about one-third the size of Illinois' smallest nuclear power plant. Mark Denzler, head of the Illinois Manufacturers Association, says industrial customers will need more reliable power once coal and gas plants go offline. We have a lot of industrial processes that rely on steam. You can't generate steam from wind or from solar like you can from gas and coal. And so those industrial operations that are steam-fired need to have an energy source to be able to produce that. Right now, there are six nuclear plants in Illinois generating a little more than half of the state's electricity. The law takes effect in June. I'm Alex Dagman. Illinois State Police are increasingly using clear and present danger reports to prevent people who may be a threat from obtaining firearms. Local police, school administrators, and mental health professionals can send state police a report if they believe someone may be a danger to themselves or others. State Police Director Brendan Kelly says they have been used more than 4,000 times this year to revoke firearm owners' ID cards and remove guns. This is circumstances where people say, yes, obviously, this person is dangerous. They're homicidal, they're suicidal. They should not have access to firearms. Kelly says state police now keep the reports even if the person flagged does not have a firearm owner's ID card or an application for one pending in case they seek one in the future. One of the tallest buildings in St. Louis goes back on the auction block today. The St. Louis Business Journal reports online bids for the former AT&T Tower will be accepted through Thursday. The starting bid for the 44-story structure is $2.5 million. It's been vacant since 2017 when the company moved workers to another downtown building. A new buyer would have access to tax breaks on the structure. The tower is on the National Register of Historic Places. The Webster Groves-based theater The Rep is hoping one of the area's most famous natives will help it get back on solid financial footing. John Goodman will perform at a benefit this weekend as part of the rep's attempt to raise $2.5 million to save its season. Goodman says he was heartbroken to hear about the company's financial struggles. I could either cry about it in my no-alcohol beer or try to do something about it, and I have no idea what I'm bringing to the game here. Just showing up is important to me. Goodman auditioned for roles at the Rep while growing up in Afton, but never landed a part. He was a guest on St. Louis on the Air, and that conversation is posted at stlpr.org. The Washington Theater in Quincy was once an entertainment mecca. For years, the historic theater was home to vaudeville acts and later movies before it shuttered in the 1980s. As St. Louis Public Radio's Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson reports, an effort is underway to restore the theater to its former glory. How would you like to see the projection booth? Let's see it. Brian, I'll let you go first. I'm following Jim Lawrence and Brian Hines up a dark, narrow staircase in the Washington Theater. Some movies might have had four reels of film. That's Brian Hines, the president of the Friends of the Washington Theater Commission. So in here is where they would store them all. So you'd have that big spool and just fit around there and then hold it in place. The theater is a treasure trove of different eras of its own history, from the stained glass windows and hardwood chairs to the original light board and panel. Intricate architectural details are scattered throughout the auditorium, but the wear and tear is noticeable. The ceiling has a large hole. Lawrence, also with the commission, says... That happened after the building was neglected by its previous owners before the city of Quincy regained ownership. 
the roof started to leak and really caused quite a bit of damage um, to the architecture. The Washington Theater opened its doors in 1924 as a vaudeville venue to a sold-out crowd. Not long after, it was sold to Chicago businessmen, adding silent films to its roster. By 1929, it was home to the first viewing of a talking movie in Quincy. So this was a large venue and a main main event and a social aspect in the city of Quincy. And we just want to bring that back in a different way. For some Quincy residents, the theater was more than a place for entertainment. For Dan and Jerry Conboy, it was the beginning of a nearly 50-year love story. I guess I got up the nerve to ask her out for a date. She said yes, they saw the sting, and Jerry was captivated. The theater was just cavernous. It was just seemed so huge. And the seats were red velvet and nice and soft and cushiony. They seemed like it at the time. The theater was sold again before closing its doors for good in 1982. Soon after, it was donated to the city. In 2003, the commission was formed to come up with recommendations on how to restore the venue. The commission has collected roughly $750,000 in grants. Hines says... Some of that money has been put towards major roof repairs. Because if you start working and, and doing stuff inside and making everything look pretty, but your roof isn't fixed and your foundation isn't stable and you're tuck pointing, you're just going to have damage. So why damage something you've done? So we had to do that stuff behind the scenes before we could do anything else. According to a 2006 feasibility study, a fully up and running Washington theater could bring in $6 million annually. But there has been some pushback. Some residents don't see the need for another event space. Others don't have a personal connection to the theater. You can't rely on, you know, several generations who have an experience with a past cycle. You have to create a really new story around the building that captures everyone. Michael Allen is a senior lecturer of architecture at Washington University in St. Louis. He says it is possible to get a younger crowd invested in preserving historic places. I think younger people are very responsive to restaurants and concert venues that are in historic buildings, buildings they may not know anything about. You know, they don't daydream about what happened there 20 years ago. They're enjoying what's happening there now. The commission plans to transform the theater into a multi-purpose venue fit for concerts, plays, receptions, amongst other things. Hines says the restoration will take time and money, around the tune of 10 to $12 million for the first phase. Now, I'm not saying we're going to turn down somebody if they come up and say, you know what, I've got a couple million dollars and I'd love to. Absolutely. But we got to be realistic. The chances of that happening are slim, not impossible. Hines expects the theater will be operational within five to ten years. In Quincy, I'm Marissa Ann Lewis-Thompson, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Jonathan All edited that report. The Gateway is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.